Good morning, Fellowship family. Really glad that you could make it. And you are the the brave who uh, got up early this morning, cleared off your cars, made it here on time. And uh, it's an honor to have you here. We're actually going to be talking about what you did today. We're going to talk about adversity. Because this, uh, this storm uh, threatened, you know, five to eight inches of snow. And I think we ended up with two and a half to three. Um, but... Uh, we're here to see uh, what's the value of adversity. And that's been our uh, picture over this past several weeks as we've gone through the gift exchange series is when we bring something to God, what does he do with it? And uh, Jesus is the ultimate gift exchange in our lives. And uh, as we talk ad- about adversity, I just have a quick question to ask. What if you could actually control and craft the reality for the birth the childhood, the adolescence, and the adulthood of your child. Imagine that you could sit down before your child was born and you could literally craft out a plan of how to raise this child who would grow into a successful and satisfied adult, making a contribution and expressing a blessing in every environment that they existed. What would you do? What country, what location would you want them born? What neighborhood? If you could have any house, what would be the house to raise that child? What income would you want to make to really do that well? I mean, provide all the resources right at your fingertips. What threats would you guard them from? What people would you surround them with? What experiences would you plan to provide for them? What emotions would you try to guide them? What sicknesses would be your greatest threat Greatest fears. What would you want? Who would you want to be their friends? Who wouldn't you want to be their friends? What heartbreaks would you want to protect them from? You see, whether or not we actually sit down before our children are born or given to us, if we've adopted, the the reality is this. We all kind of have an expectation of what our kids will be like. Kind of have that expectation. We kind of have that dream of we'd live in this place. We'd, they'd have these experiences. They'd have things like our childhood. They wouldn't have things like our childhood. And so we protect them from that. And the reality to that is adversity is a threat. Adversity is a threat to these dreams and to these expectations. Because in the United States, we have the three C's of the American dream. We have comfort expressed through pleasure. We have control expressed through choices. And we have confidence expressed through success. We like comfortable, confident, and in control children. And adversity threatens that. And when adversity comes into our lives, we get very upset. Because we don't see it as having a purpose. We see it more as a purposeless, as a pointless experience that happens in our lives. And so when we have adversity, we quickly want to go take a course to help us, you know, make better decisions or take a pill to alleviate the issue or make more money to solve the issue. And yet when adversity comes into our lives, I'm talking about uncontrollable, inexplainable, humiliating adversity. Without the trust of God, we worry and we lose sleep and we get angry and we blame and we cry out. We cry out to God. We cry out. Does anyone know how I feel? Does anyone care how I feel? Can anyone help me? The answer is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus understands. 
You see, Jesus came to this world. He was born into poverty and powerless from a human perspective. Instead of advantage, Jesus was born into adversity. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a look at this adversity. It's in Matthew chapter 2. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background. Caesar was the ruler at the time of the Roman world. The leader of the land where Jesus was born, Bethlehem of Judea, was Herod. And Herod was a power broker who built up the Roman kingdom around in the Palestinian area. But he also abused and exploited people. He was dark. He was insecure. He was neurotic. And he describes evil. Evil. He was an evil leader. And so when wise men from the east saw a star in the sky and appeared before him and said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Because we've seen his star and we've come to worship him. It had a little issue with Herod. He didn't want to share reign or rule or authority with anyone else. So obviously an insecure leader moves towards insecure motives. And one was to eradicate the child. The wise men find Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and they worship him and they give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and then they leave. And Herod said when he initially saw him, tell me where he is so that I might come and worship him also, which he didn't really mean. He was going to kill the child. And so the wise men heard in a dream, don't tell Herod they left by another way. And we come upon this passage now into adversity. Look at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. It says this. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. That's by the way in Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Verse 16 says. Then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man. Became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And all that region who were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. See, this part of the Christmas story is left out of most nativity scenes. And by the way, keep the wise men out of the nativity scenes. They came years after the child was born. I have them. They're in my place at home. So, But I always move them off to the side a little bit more because the shepherds were there. But the wise men came long after that. They didn't show up at a stable. They were at a home. So, and I'm sorry, I got got distracted this morning. Can I just move on from another little uh, Christmas tyrant for a moment? But but the the life that Jesus grew into was 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 adversity it was an advantage and we can talk all we want about the failure and flaws of our government but when the son of god came to this world he placed himself under an evil government led by herod ancient documents describe herod's atrocities he slaughtered jewish priests 
he executed half of the Sanhedrin, which is the high court of the Jews. He killed 300 court officers. He executed his wife when he didn't like her, her mother, which is understandable, perhaps the mother-in-law issue, but her mother and three of his sons, three of his sons. As he lay dying, he arranged for all the notable men of Jerusalem to be assembled in the Hippodrome and killed upon the announcement of his death because he didn't want anyone who was a threat to him in his life take over on his death. Think about this egocentric, insecure, evil man. And that was the government that Jesus was born into. Folks, we have it a lot better than he did. He was born into it, and it was his choice. And so when we read in the scriptures of the execution of the male children in Bethlehem, it's an outrage to us, but it was a drop in the bucket to Herod. And critics of the scriptures wondered, why don't we hear about these children being killed around Bethlehem? Why don't we, why don't we see those in the historical documents of the time? And our response is because they were a very small thing, even though a very large thing to us, very small thing in his atrocities. Commentators estimate between 30 or 40 children were killed in that area. That's nothing compared to the 300 high priests that he killed in one swath. So we can read them and we can be appalled, but there were no newspapers during the day. There were no blogs, no Facebook. And people ultimately, even if they did, they were illiterate for the most part. They couldn't have read them. So this story was, it was preserved through the scriptures. It wasn't preserved through the newspapers. And so this picture is, is adversity. Why? Why would Jesus be born into adversity? Well, because it was the plan of God. And as his life reveals, adversity is actually redeemed to be an advantage in our lives. The adversity of Jesus results in advantage for us. See, the reality about the life of Jesus is that he was born into poverty. At a very early age, his family fled for their lives. His father probably died in his adolescence. His family rejected him for the most of his ministry. It wasn't until after he was resurrected that his brother James actually believed in him and took him seriously. His friends wanted things from him. That's why they were very attracted to the miracles. But when he told them his claims, they ran and they dissipated. They wanted things from him. They did not want him. He was rejected. He was pursued for his life by the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. He was unjustly tried in several courts. He was sentenced to death. He was whipped, beaten, bruised, and crucified on a Roman cross. A very gruesome death. Our hero, this is his life. This is his life. It's a life of adversity. We can be surprised by adversity, but it was the life of Jesus. So we should not be. And the New Testament church should not be. We're called to embrace suffering. James says, count it all joy when you experience suffering. So look at what the writer of Hebrews teaches us about the adversity of Jesus. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Would you turn there with me and read that? Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore, 
he, being Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, the life of Jesus teaches us to view adversity from a different lens, with a different perspective. It's God's perspective. And in the reality of God's story in Jesus, as well as in us, adversity is an invitation for growth, for depth, for maturity. If we'll trust the hand of God. Adversity is that invitation by God to grow. And you know what? As much as I've lived, I've rarely grown through easy times. I've had to grow through adversity. And so that's what God uses it for. Now, I don't know exactly why you are suffering today. And all of us have adversity in our lives. Some of us have lost. This year has been a horrible year in the area of losing loved ones from a parent to a spouse to a child. Some of us are suffering with disease and we have, we've been diagnosed this year with cancer or a heart disease or a joint problem or a muscle problem or something going on in your mind. Some of you have dealt with depression this year and, and it's dark and you feel in despair. Some of us have lost relationships this year. They, the, the relationships we pinned our hopes on have not succeeded. They've not worked out. And so we're alone again. Some of us have gone through divorces. Some of us have been rejected, whether the loss of a job or the loss of a relationship. Well, the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus to this world is an invitation for all of us to trust God again. To in the midst of our adversity, to trust the living God that he's working something in our plan, in our lives that we're a part of, that will have greater meaning in the future than it even we have understanding of it right now. And that's because, guys, the gospel is not cute. The gospel is a cornerstone. It's not this cute little mantra or ideology we have. It's an actual, it's... It's light in darkness. It's hope in despair. It's, it's help in times of discouragement. It's light. It's life in moments of death. It's, it's the cornerstone of our lives. And it applies to all people, not just the, those who live in the United States who make a pretty good wage and live in a good neighborhood. It's for all people everywhere. And it's offered to whosoever, people who are having the greatest day of their lives and people who have just heard the worst news of their lives. The gospel can handle it because Jesus took on flesh and handled everything we've dealt with here on earth. This is a God who goes the distance. He's not the arm length God that wants you to perform and measure up, that wants you to travel in the snow that's six inches out there to come to church so you can work your way to God. No, that's not our God. Our God came to our experience, our brokenness, our adversity, and he lived and he was crucified and he died and he rose again. Adversity is that invitation for us to grow. And might I even add, for us to walk in the footprints and the footsteps of Jesus. We can trust Jesus 
during adversity. Why? Why can we trust him? Well, the passage in Hebrews gives us three reasons. The first one is this. We can trust Jesus during adversity because Jesus is our brother. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That word brother. Have you heard it a lot? I mean, you don't always hear it at work, but in churches, churches have used it. I've grown up in the church. So that was, hello there, brother. You know, that would be, you know, growing up in a Baptist church. They'd always call me brother. We don't always say that. We just say, hey. <laughs> but, you know, as as I've traveled around the world, I met other believers. I've heard in in uh, Romania. Hello, my brother. Good to see you, my brother. And I've gone to Africa. Hello, brother. Hello, brother Joe. It's good to see you, brother Joe. And it's an, it's a international expression of acceptance. And that's Jesus. He's a brother. He comes alongside of us and is our brother. It means he relates to us. He shares in the burden. He suffers with us in times of adversity. Jesus relates. There's never a loss in our lives. There's never a challenge in our lives that he cannot personally relate. He's not just someone who goes, I'm so sorry for you. He's someone who goes, I know actually how you feel. Jesus does. Our God knows how we feel because he was like us in every respect. You see how comforting this is to know that Jesus is our brother. You're never alone. He comes alongside of you. In times of adversity. Empathy is one of the greatest values that you can have in coming alongside someone who's going through adversity. Those of you who have struggled with cancer and you've been diagnosed and you've gone through treatment. And then one of your friends is diagnosed. You know, your visit, your call, even a text is comforting because they know that you've gone through it before and you made it through it. That's empathy. You come alongside. It's not, oh, well, just, you know, look on the positive side. Just keep the cup half full. That's not what we're talking about, positive thinking. It's comforting when you have lost something or someone to have someone else just come alongside you and not solve your problem, but understand how you feel. To feel with you. That's empathy. Jesus is that brother. He knows how you feel. You have a question? God, do you know how? Yes, I live that. Jesus is our brother. That's why you can trust him. Secondly, Jesus is our high priest. Look, keep reading there. It says, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, that's that's Jesus. He's the priest and a priest was a mediator, a go between between God and man. Jesus was the priest who ultimately would present himself as the sacrifice on the cross. And as our high priest, he intercedes for us. He's given us total and complete fulfillment of our debt to God through his death on the cross. And that's why God's not getting back at you through adversity. It's because Jesus took the brunt of the wrath of God on the cross. Because Jesus is our high priest, God's not angry with us. Because he took out all his anger on Jesus at the cross. 
And it's not fair, but it's grace. And it's truth through Jesus. And every time I go through adversity, there's the thought in the back of my mind that is, what did I do to deserve this? Do you ever have that thought? What did I do? Oh, it's because I lied on that expense report. Oh, it's because I was angry with my wife this morning. Oh, it's because, and we go back to past sins that we may have done and we, we check it off. Oh, that's God getting me back. No, not with Jesus as our high priest. With Jesus as our high priest, that debt is totally and completely satisfied. He's not getting back. And by the way, if God wanted to get back at you, he could cough and you'd be obliterated. So step back from that thought through times of adversity. God is your high priest. Jesus is our high priest. We can come alongside. He represents us to God. The spirit right now is representing us. Jesus is representing us in heaven to the father. That means our prayers through times of adversity are listened to. That the spirit literally groans for us in times of adversity when we pray. That's why prayer is one of the greatest things to do in times of adversity. Sometimes it can be as simple as God help. Amen. That's your prayer. Jesus hears that and he listens and he intercedes with the father. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest. What do you got going for you? Jesus. That's what you got going for you. There's never a moment, there's never an adversity that you can try to weather with Jesus. That God is distant. That God is far away. No, he is close because of Jesus. And he's your father. And I would just say this. Jesus is our high priest. He's not just your, the, the one you just pray to and have life the way you want it. He's not the one who just tries to make you comfortable. He's committed to your growth. And that means he doesn't just give you candy all the time. He gives you nutrition. Nutrition doesn't always taste as good as candy to immature kids. But we as parents know that it's for their, their development, for their growth. Your heavenly father has that understanding for ages, for thousands and millions of years of what's the best nutrition for our lives. And sometimes adversity helps us grow more than ease. Jesus is our high priest. He intercedes for us. So he's our brother. He's our high priest. And it's also Jesus is our helper. Look at verse 18. It says, for he himself, because for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's our helper. He not just sees and relates and is our brother. And he doesn't just listen and represent as our high priest. He also comes alongside us and helps us. He's our helper. That's a name for God. Is Jehovah Eitzer. Which means God is our help. God is our help. And Israel learned that. That God was our help. Matter of fact. When woman was made for man. God said, I will make a helper suitable for you, Adam. And helper, it wasn't a, our, our culture now with the empowerment of woman basically says God was discounting woman. Absolutely not. He gave him his name as Eitzer. I will make an Eitzer suitable for you, a helper, someone who would be my help to you. And boy, being married, 
My wife has been a great help. She has been the help of God to my life. God gives honor to women by giving them that name. But that's Jesus. Jesus Jesus is our ultimate helper. He resources us. In times of adversity, we can ask because of this, we can ask for his help. We can ask for his restoration, for his relief, for reconciliation of a relationship, for redemption of a failure. So let's just take a look at three, these three identities which make it possible for us to trust. He's our brother. Do you know him? Are you in the family? So you can't know the father until you know the brother. Jesus needs to be your brother. Trust in his work for you, who was God with us. And he came into this world and he lived a life you and I cannot live, which was perfect. He died on a cross to pay a price you and I could not pay. Even with our death, we could not pay. And that's why Jesus had to pay that price. He's our brother. Have you joined the family? Have you, by faith, just turned from whatever way you're trying to get to God and trusted in the only way to God through Jesus? That's how Jesus becomes your brother. You can do that simply by just saying, God, I turn from all the other ways to trust in Jesus, the one who loved me, who gave himself for me, who forgave my sins through his death on the cross. I believe that Jesus is enough. If that's your heart, that's salvation to you. That's, you're my brother now through the work of Jesus. Secondly, is he your high priest? Have you received his sacrifice? Is it enough? Have you been able to grow through adversity so that you don't see it as God getting back at you, but God inviting you and that God will represent you? Have you moved from worry to prayer to allow Jesus to represent you in times of adversity? And is he your helper? Do you ask for his resources? You know, so many times when you and I go through adversity, we don't always think, what's my greater need than just having this bill paid or this relationship restored or just mourning the loss of this person? We have to go deeper than just the loss. And we have to go, what is my ultimate need that's crying out right now? And we need to turn to Jesus with that need. If your relationship just broke up this year, your ultimate need is not to just jump right back into another relationship. Your ultimate need is the most and the single most important relationship in your life is Jesus. And to love him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And to look just maybe in the future that whoever else you get in a relationship with might also have a greater love for Jesus. So that as you love Jesus... You both grow together the more you love Jesus. See that? See, that's your greater need. It's not just one more relationship. Your your need for money or need for that next bill paid or that next pleasurable opportunity is not just the need for that. That's just a band-aid. You ultimately need to find your pleasure. You need to see everything that you have comes from the hand of God and to be a steward of that. See, Jesus is your helper. Ask him for those resources. When you go through times of anger, ask for love. That's what you need. When you go through times of, of frustration, ask for patience. That's what you need. When you're about to gossip about someone, ask for silence, because that's what you need. We need to 
have that relationship with God through times of adversity and times of temptation that we just go, God, help me do this. Where it's a quick, a quick prayer, a quick ask as God grows us. So what's ultimately the advantage? What is God doing with adversity? Well, look at Jesus again. There's three things he's doing. Because he's our brother, because he's our high priest, because he's our helper, he wastes no adverse experience in our lives. He actually grows us in three areas, and they're listed in this passage. The first one he grows us in is mercy. Look at this. He had might become a merciful high priest. A merciful high priest. How will you grow in mercy if you don't have to forgive anyone? How? You won't. You won't. That's why people who kind of isolate themselves from relationships because they check out of relationships every time someone annoys them. They, they're not merciful people. You would think, boy, you're eradicated from any conflict. You must be merciful. No, the exact opposite. They have Their switches go off a lot quicker. And so that they have very few friends because they don't want anyone. They want to control their lives so no one upsets them. That is a shallow, shallow person. And you don't want to be that person. So you got to go through an adverse time to grow in mercy. Someone has to hurt you lower than you're comfortable so that your mercy can grow to that level. And when you forgive at that level, guess what God does? He increases your capacity to forgive. Do you want to forgive like Jesus? You've got to go through difficult times and forgive someone who's taken something of great value of your life. Yeah, you grow in that. How is... um, How will you grow in humility if you have never been humiliated? See, we don't want our kids bullied. We we want to keep our kids just having positive thoughts with only good positive friends around them. Yet sometimes I've learned my kids have grown through humiliation. They've grown through being picked on. And if I would have sheltered them from that, if I would have, like, the school bus was one classic time. And I remember my boys went on the school bus and they had a bully on the school bus. Man, there was everything in me to pull them off the school bus and then to drive them to school every day so they'd never be bullied again in their lives. You know what we did? We had conversations about what to say, about what to do. And they grew through that time. They stood up to the bully. Now, it doesn't work all the time. That's why you have to keep close on it. But, folks, you don't grow until you embrace it and you go and you you, you address it with them rather than just pull them out of it. How do you give compassion if you're always consuming? You can't be generous if you're consuming 104% of your income. You can't be. That's why I hear it all the time. Oh, I'd love to give. I just can't afford to. No, you can't afford not to give. Yeah, it would ruin my life if I stopped being generous, if I stopped giving. It would it would make me so much about myself and I would see this church and everyone who asked for anything as a threat to my way of life. And I'd be angry. And you know what? It's not working. It doesn't work for me when I pull out of that. I can't be compassionate if I don't embrace adversity if i don't go to the dominican republic if i don't go to neighborhoods like the high crest neighborhood here in town and meet people and engage people who are going through adversity 
I don't grow in mercy. You see, God grows us in that when we embrace adversity. Secondly, he grows us in faithfulness. Look at what he was. He's a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Say, how is, how is metal forged? It's melted, right? It's heated up and it changes its composition so that it can be reformed. You drove metal to, to church with you this, this today. And, and it serves you as a great advantage, but it had to be melted before that could happen. See, we like the end use. We just don't like the process of being melted. But yet that's how we become faithful. How do you sharpen a knife? I hate the sound of a knife being sharpened, but I love a sharp knife. See, you got to have adversity. You got to have iron on iron as one man sharpens another, right? You've got to have a sharpening friend in your life to, to grow through faithfulness. How are our armed forces trained through a process called basic training to break you of pride and self-centeredness so that you can work with a team and submit to authority? You've got to have those experiences of adversity. How do our teachers train our students? They test them. They give them homework. They make things difficult so that they'll grow. How are our athletes trained? Through practice, through challenge, through humiliated, humiliating losses. That's how we learn. Adversity builds faithfulness. Adversity builds integrity. That you are that same person. You are that whole person from a great day to a really bad day. See, that's what a faithful person is. And that was Jesus. Through the acceptance of the crowd, the rejection of the crowd, he was the same. He was a faithful high priest. Adversity does that to us. It makes us faithful. You want to be faithful? Engage adversity. Don't run from it. And then it also gives us, allows us to serve God. He was a Merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Folks, when you go through adversity, I know the the goal many times when I go through adversity is just to get from point A to point B and get through it. But God is actually saying, serve me through it. That's why we're called throughout the scriptures that when we suffer to serve the Lord through suffering, we don't serve man because man and even us. I look at my own life when I go through adversity, it doesn't make sense. I've got to serve someone greater than myself. God says, serve me when you suffer. That's, it's an invitation to serve God. Because only in his plan does it make any sense. You can walk away from God in times of adversity. You can forget about him. You can disconnect from prayer because you don't, you think he doesn't care can disconnect from his word because you don't think it applies to you but the reality is is you just get more pain you just get more suffering you just have more and it just piles the adversity because adversity in your view is pointless but with god in jesus it serves a purpose like you and i may never know the purpose that it serves but know this god sees you he's your brother God represents you. He's your high priest. God resources you. 
He's your helper. And he will reward you through adversity. So don't run from it. Trust and rock with God. There's that reward for those who endure through times of adversity. Paul talks about it in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. He says, when you go through suffering, don't you know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us. See that? You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed for some of us in 50 years when we're with Jesus. This will not be a disappointment. This broken, messed up world, this loss you cannot understand right now, it, it will not compare. It won't be disappointing to you. Because you serve the Lord through it. You grew in faithfulness. And you grew in mercy. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just lift up our congregation, our whole church family. You know the adversity they're facing. You know the loss they've had this year. You've even blessed us in so many ways, even amidst all these losses. And we give you thanks. Heavenly Father, you have sent your son, Jesus, into a broken world of adversity. He chose to be placed under an evil leader. And yet... His enduring through that means our advantage of a relationship with you, a brother, a high priest, a helper in time of need. So may we run to you. May we follow you. However that's going to look this week, whatever news we hear this week, we want to trust you in times of adversity. And may you grow us in mercy, in faithfulness, and in service. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.